2: Hey, it's Damian Barling reminding you to check out the Sacramento Kings podcast right here on the Ball Podcast Network for all of your Sacramento Kings news and notes. You can follow me on Twitter at Damian Barling and you can follow us at Ball Kings. Don't miss a single episode of the Sacramento Kings podcast right here on the Ball Podcast Network.
0: The following is a hoop bowl presentation. What's
2: up bulls fans and welcome to the Hoop Ball Chicago Bulls Podcast here on the Hoop Ball Network. My name is Greg Moraz, your host, as always. We've got a great show for you today. In our second segment, Jill Adge from the Hoop Ball Sacramento Kings podcast is going to preview tonight's matchup between the Bulls and the Kings. We are also brought to you by MyBookie and Manscaped. Go check out both of our awesome sponsors. In this opening segment, we're recapping the Joel Embiid show from last night. That is the Bulls' 112-105 loss to the Philadelphia 76ers. Now, I will say this. I don't think there is a clear elite team in the Eastern Conference, at least not at this point in the year. But I do think that of the teams that are in the top half, the Sixers are the most complete. They did not have Ben Simmons, but Joel Embiid just showed up and showed out. 50 points on 17 of 26 shooting. He was 15 of 17 from the free throw line, had 17 rebounds, five assists four blocks, and two steals. With the Bulls having as depleted of a front court as they do, meaning Wendell Carter Jr., Patrick Williams, Thad Young, and basically nobody else, it's really hard to stop one of the most versatile big men in the entire NBA, and that's what Joel Embiid is. I have firmly believed since he came into the league that there is not a single player that has as much skill for his size and his girth, as Joel Embiid does. And as bad as it got last year in the final year of the Brett Brown era, everything seems to be clicking under Doc Rivers and Daryl Morey. This Sixers team has been somewhat reborn. And they've been reborn in a new identity, somewhat the identity of what the Rockets were under Daryl Morey the past few years in Houston. Because you look at their starting lineup. Tobias Harris... Went 9 of 16 from the field, 22 points. Danny Green, 4 of 8 from beyond the arc. He had 13 points. This is not a very deep team. They don't run very deep rotations. Tyrese Maxey had 17 minutes off the bench. That was the most bench minutes that any Sixer played in the game. Dwight Howard in 13 minutes. Even though he was a minus 15, he had 8 points and 10 boards. This Sixers team, just when they're on, they're on. And last night... Joel Embiid and Tobias Harris were on. Seth Curry and Matisse Theibel run an effective backcourt, but they only combined for 11 points. That's the thing that's amazing to me about the 76ers, is that despite who is the man in charge in Daryl Morey and the style of basketball that he wants to play, you just had a game where you had 72 of your 112 points come from your starting front court. That does not happen very often in the NBA, and when you look at the points in the paint statistic, it's the biggest disparity you're going to see all year, except, oh wait, it's not. The Bulls were actually a plus four on points in the paint, which goes to show how good of a jump shooter Joel Embiid is. That He can score 50 points as your starting center, and the Bulls would be plus four on points in the paint. To me... I look at last night, and I see the Bulls as a team that did not shoot very well, as a team that did not get to the free-throw line as much as the Sixers did, that got out-rebounded by Philadelphia. They were minus 11 in the rebounding margin. The Bulls just got bullied by Joel Embiid. Now, Zach Levine had a good night, but it was an inefficient night. He had 30 points on 9 of 28. He was 10 of 10 at the free-throw line. He accounted for over half of the Bulls' makes. Rest of the Bulls' starting lineup didn't do much. Wendell Carter Jr., 15 points, 7 of 13, solid effort. Patrick Williams, he's got to get going offensively. Just six points in 31 minutes, he only took five shots. Garrett Temple, 10 points in 33 minutes. Kobe White, nine points in 27 minutes. He had a rough night offensively. Bulls were just 7 of 32 from beyond the arc. They're a very streaky team when it comes to three-point shooting. But anyway, it's one of those games that you just have to flush. So the Bulls come home tonight. They're playing the Sacramento Kings. We're going to take a quick break. Jill Adge of the Ball Sacramento Kings podcast on the other side. This is the Ball Chicago Bulls podcast on the Ball Network. Gather around, Ball Chicago Bulls listeners. We've got a little story to tell. Ever since I started this podcast, people have been asking me for betting tips. I always get asked, who do you have, Lakers or Clippers? Rodgers or Mahomes, and I'll tell you what I tell them. Ask me about different teams. I don't follow any of those teams. But what I also tell them is that where you bet is just as important as who you're betting on. That's why I tell people to bet with MyBookie. MyBookie's rep is rock solid, and they've got the best odds, contests, and promotions in the business. They're the only place I trust to handle my NBA-related bets the one sports book guaranteed to give me the best lines for every single game possible a lot of NBA action coming up we've got Major League Baseball spring training just around the corner although honestly I would not bet on a major League spring training game you know me and you know that I don't give my stamp of approval easily to earn it you've got to be the best at what you do and my bookie is the best sports book out there period it's simple sign up, enter promo code hoopball and get your deposit matched halfway up to a 1000 bucks head over to my bookie if you want to add a little excitement to the sports you love and the games you bet bet with the best bet with my bookie welcome back into the hoopball chicago bulls podcast bulls are playing the kings tonight at the united center joining us she is one of the co-hosts of the Hoopball Sacramento Kings podcast, also on the Hoopball Network. Jill Adge is joining me. Jill, thank you for taking the time to talk with us and give us a little insight into the team in California's capital city. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thank you for having me on. No problem at all. It's good to have a Kings expert on because, let's just face it, here in the Chicagoland area, we don't really get a whole lot of Sacramento Kings experts. My first question to you, and we talked a little bit about this before we started recording, After winning six of seven, the Kings lost five straight all at home. Their second losing streak of at least four games this year. Why is this team so streaky? Because I'm looking at the record and I'm looking at the schedule. It's a bunch of L's, good sectional wins and a bunch of L's. Like, it seems like this team can't seem to find a consistent footing. Yeah, um,
1: and it, and it's interesting because this core group has been here for a couple of years, and it's the same story every year. You you'll see the flashes, like a roller coaster, right? You're up, and then you're right down, and then you're up, and you're right down, and they will play good fundamental basketball during those winning streaks, and then it will be like, it literally looks like a completely different team out there. Like, and and they'll even say it post game that. Oh, yes, again, we went away from what makes us successful. And the, the frustrating thing is we saw those flashes from Fox, right? So for most Kings fans this year, it was Fox needs to take that next step. During that winning streak, we saw Fox taking that next step. And so if he's not what we call Fox Force 5 during these games, <laughs> th- there's nobody, there's nobody else to step up. So Doug Christie's kind of coined that, that phrase when, when he's out there, but um, if he's not doing that, there's nobody else on this team that seems to be able to step up. I will say um, Harrison Barnes uh, is injured and he's been um, kind of a pillar with this team this year that When he's putting up the numbers as well, the Kings are doing better. And when he's not, uh, we're seeing, you know, the losing streaks. So it's just, I don't know what it's going to take for it to ever finally click with this team, or if it's up to the front office now to realize this group just will never be that. And so we might see quite a few changes coming, um, toward the, toward the trade deadline, but. Right now, this team goes uh, where Fox and Harrison Barnes takes them. And when they're not, when they're not, the Kings are not.
2: It's funny, though, that you bring that up. And I was going to get to this later in the show, but I'm deciding to get to it now. I had written down that De'Aaron Fox is averaging close to 23 points a game, yet of the next five leading scores for the Kings, none of them averages more than 16, but none of them averages less than 12. So excluding Harrison Barnes because of his injury right now, does this team have a clear number two option? In my opinion, just as an outside observer, that should 100% be Buddy Heald, but clearly it's not.
1: You're completely right. Yes. And to Kings fans, that's it as well. And uh, we had someone on Twitter this last week uh, who was putting up uh, numbers. And I think it was regarding Harrison of, what are his numbers when they win and what are his numbers when they lose? And so my response was, okay, now do buddy, right? Like I'm curious to see. And his numbers were almost exactly the same in wins and losses. Like I've never seen anything like it where this guy's putting up numbers and it literally does not sway it one way and it does not sway it another. But when, when he's not on, on his shooting, which he's been pretty, roller coaster this season more so than we've ever seen from from a typical buddy again this team has no there's no other enforcer on offense and it's it helps fox having him out there because it does open up such a lane because even when buddy's off right people still have to respect buddy shot because it can turn you know, at the snap of a finger, he can go, you know, NBA jam hot, like at the drop of a hat. And so even when, you know, he's shooting a one for eight, three point game, you know, he could make five in a row. Like you just don't know what you're going to get, but more so his issue is they've been trying to build all the other aspects of his game because he is already kind of at that elite level with shooting. And so when he's not on, on offense, there's not much else he he really brings to the game, um, and if his shooting's not there, we don't have another hot shooter like that uh, in the starting lineup or you know on the bench. So it's, but you're you're one hundred percent right, buddy. Needs to be that second guy, um, and w- like we just don't know what what's going what's going on with him this season because those numbers are. Um, I don't want to say significantly down, but they're down. They are significantly a bit. down. Though. I mean, he, it's what, he was averaging 20. over twenty. Yeah, he
2: was twenty two years ago. He was at about twenty last year, yeah. and now he's just under sixteen. So when you look at the arc of a player that's in what is this year, and five, he's only shooting
1: you- threes. Like in previous years, he was driving, like he was finding ways to score without shooting the three. And this year, it's just bombs away from three. And I don't know if that's coaching telling him that, or if that's just Um, buddy doing that because he got criticized so much the last couple of years for, you know, trying to have other parts to his game. Um, and it's been, you know, no, no secret that he hasn't really been happy here. Uh, we haven't really heard it much during this season. Um, but you know, in the off season and, and the end of last year, there was very much a a disconnect between front office and coaching staff and, and buddy. So I mean, we're, we're pretty much at a loss as to what, as to what's going on. Um, well, at least with the scoring part of his game and the Kings are so bad at defense that when they're not on offensively, like the last four games, they, they're down 20 plus points a game. I mean, it's, they've been ranked last in defense, but their offense has been at times, at least during that stretch, they were top 10, I think even top five during at times that starting lineup. But again, when they're not scoring, their defense is so bad that there's there's no there's no saving grace with any other part of their game uh, to be able to hold off um, teams just coming out and 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 taking them out. And if another team shows any kind of physicality, unfortunately this this team does not step up toe to toe with anybody. It's they kind of wilt away, unfortunately.
2: We are here with Jill Adge of the hoop ball Sacramento Kings podcast, previewing the bulls and the Kings tonight at the United center. This was a close game. The first time that these two teams played. And I expect another close game just because the bulls are still young and I don't know what to expect from them on a back-to-back coming off a road trip to Philadelphia, but we're talking Kings right now. We're going to get into specifics of the bulls and the Kings a little bit later. He's always going to be the guy that was taken a pick before Luka Doncic. Are Kings fans at this point reserved to the fact that Marvin Bagley is what he is? Or is there still an expectation of the potential he showed in his one year at Duke?
1: Um, the, honestly, I think there's still kind of a divide when it comes to, when it comes to fans. Uh, he's been injured so much And not even, you know, just, I mean, they've kind of been freak injuries too. Like last year it was Aiton hitting his hand, you know, like trying to swipe the ball away and he broke his hand. Like it's just been random kind of fluke injuries. And so last year he played only played like 13, 14 games this year. He's played, I want to say he set a streak of 23 in a row and then he was out a couple games ago and now he's back, but on a minute restriction, um, But it's hard with this kid because he's never really had that longevity of where he's just been able to work for long stretches of games at a time. I will say besides the season where we saw, you know, the 23 game stretch, even though that's not really long, that's long in terms of Bagley. So to me, he's still, I think he's 21. He's a 21 year old kid who's had, you know, who during the season finally hit his 80 game mark. So to me, he's 21, but he's only played the amount that, right. That a rookie would have played, you know, in this league. So to me, it's hard for me to say that I've seen any kind of ceiling just because with big men in the NBA, normally it takes, you know, longer for you to see what you're going to get. And then the fact that he, he still is a work in progress that, you know, just with age and with, um actual reps out on the court. So I'm at the point where I t- honestly I I feel bad for the kid cuz that's right like you said that's what he's known for and Kings fans have very much uh over the last couple of years, you know, m- let him know like that's what he's known for. Like media lets him know that's what he's known for. Um his dad's very vocal on social media. I don't know if people you know, others around the country, pay attention to that, but he's very vocal about wishing that Bagley moved elsewhere. Um, but he, he says, and does all the right things to me, um, for, for somebody that's going through all that. And, you know, I just, I'd like to see it, um, work out. I I don't know what's going to happen, but again, we're, We have seen the flashes, and we've had some injuries to um, our big men, which has given him more opportunities at both the forward and um, the center position. So a lot of fans went into this season saying that we don't care about the wins and losses. We want to finally just see Fox, Bagley, Tyrese, you know, just – taking these steps whether we win or lose we just want to see the progression from those that young core of players and as much as the kings have frustrated us this year in my personal opinion we have seen steps from each one of those players so yeah i i don't mind where it's at right now the biggest focus to me is him just staying healthy
2: Which is a fair enough concern, given that the Kings aren't really using a whole lot of players in their bench rotations. I'm looking at a lot of the statistics and you're barely seeing guys on the bench getting over 15 minutes a game. A problem that the Bulls also have, but that's also because they don't have the same type of depth that most teams do right now. They're having to play only eight to nine guys in total every night. We're here with Jill Edge of the Hoop Ball Sacramento Kings podcast. I don't think I've seen a fan base. Get it as excited about a rookie as Kings fans are about Tyrese Halliburton, especially considering it seems like from social media he loves playing in Sacramento. What about him has endeared himself to the fans?
1: Um he he kind of bought in right away and he came in where, for us, it's rare that we see rookies be like successful right off the bat. And um he came in just with some attitude, with some grit, just that we have not seen from a rookie in a long time, let alone from a guy at twelve, right? Like we never thought that he would even fall to us. We, you know, some of our our draft guys, uh, Bryant, like at the King's Herald, um, it was his one of his favorite prospects, but you know even when we'd have conversations or you know he'd be putting out there that there there's no like there's no way right he he'd make it at 12 and we heard that the front office um Tyrese had mentioned this post draft that the front office had told him that they were actually looking at trading up um to actually they were targeting him right and they were looking to um, trade up to get him but And that him and his agent were trying to figure out a way to get here because he thought it'd be a good situation for him. And him and Fox together, uh, the flashes we've seen between those two, uh, you're seeing flashes of a long-term future uh, for those two here in a Sacramento uniform. But again, just he comes in and he's high IQ basketball. Like, he's just not playing like any rookie that that we get here, let alone our our draft record, is not great. Um, so just seeing a young kid come in like that and and be able to take over games at times has just been very exciting and and nothing that we expected this early on um, from him. And he's even where you're even seeing a lot of the. Um, you know the draft expert saying, "Oh, um, his shot is you know uh is translating a lot better than you know we we give him credit for. Uh, his playmaking is better than we give him credit for. You know, and then the next sentence, like, oh, but I think we've seen the ceiling. It's like if he's pl- outplaying any expectation than you had of him, how can you even say that that's his ceiling right now? Like, it's just to me, it's." The sky's the limit for this kid, especially with his basketball IQ. And if if it doesn't work out with Buddy here, that this um, th- the, the the pairing of Fox and Halliburton looks very bright uh, for this group, which isn't something that many Kings fans have been able to say in in a very long time.
2: I thought the Bulls were going to take him at number four. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to ask about Tyrese Halliburton because I'm sitting there and I'm saying, all right, Edwards, Wiseman, and Ball are going top three. Bulls need a point guard. I was expecting Halliburton also because he went to Iowa State and there's a Midwest connection, although I don't know if it'd be working out as well for him in Chicago because the Bulls-Iowa State connection from Tim Floyd to Marcus Pfizer to Fred Hoiberg Hasn't really worked out well over the past 20 years, so probably better that Tyrese Halliburton ended up in Sacramento. This is a bit of an off-the-beaten-path question, and I ask this because I was confused by the move at the time because they had been – it was one of the best seasons that the Kings had had since the last Rick Adelman team to make the playoffs, and that is, do you think the Kings – now two years in hindsight – regret parting ways with Dave Yeager
1: uh yes and no no and the fact that um there were so many things going on behind the scenes that were obviously never made public between front office uh coaching ownership and players that it had gotten so toxic at that point um in in contract disputes and it's a known fact that dave wanted luca that that was a disagreement uh dave got into it with our assistant general manager that we had at the time um he was getting kicked out of practice the general man uh the assistant general manager was getting kicked out of practice there was questions on who was running the team was it the assistant general manager was it Vladdy? um so there was it was Just pretty toxic. And then our players didn't like getting yelled at by Jaeger. And that's kind of always been an issue with Kings fans. That it's like, really? You you don't need a best friend out there. Like, if if you're going to be successful, deal with it. But, and and (laughs) I'm sure there are old Kings fans that will say yes. But he was also very vocal in the sense that he was having to implement basic strategies because there were players on the team that that couldn't grasp um, any more than basics you know whether it be offensive defensively and so um, that was always kind of a frustration and we're hearing Luke say the same thing Um, but I think the thing that was most frustrating was okay you got you got rid of them right like there was all these issues you got rid of them Um, and then it felt like okay because there was so much distrust then you went and hired a a best friend right you didn't interview anybody um we had heard luke walton's name during the season even before it was made public that um jaeger would not be uh staying longer um to finish out the last year of his contract so it, it was just kind of a it rubbed i would say a lot of fans the wrong way just that i mean that you were already hearing that this was the name that they were looking for. If, if the Lakers were going to, you know, get rid of Luke, um,
2: which they were going to and, because LeBron right, yeah. was destined to drive Luke right. Walton out of Los Angeles, because let's just face it, LeBron James, one of the greatest players of all time, absolute coach killer.
1: But yeah, <laughs> yes. Um, but it's, you know, on a national perspective, you know, they're not getting a lot of the, the local you know um ins and outs that we're necessarily getting here and so on a a national scale it's oh you know of course you just of course kings just fired their the coach that had been right the most successful (laughs) that that they had had and you actually saw flashes and when when coaches and teams came here it was you know it's it's actually a game now, right? Like normally when you come here, it's, we're expecting the win. And, um, now, you know, you had them saying, Oh, you know, this is actually going to be a game, right? They're not an easy win. They can run us off the court, but we also knew that style wouldn't last. So, I mean, hindsight, I, I don't think honestly with this group of players that it really mattered if, if Jaeger stayed or not, sadly, um, If, if the disconnect was already there so much between players, um, which is what we've all heard that I don't think you'd be seeing anything different at this point, but it's pretty telling that, you know, you bring in a player's coach and yet you're still hearing the same things from the coach post game. You're still seeing the same mistakes over and over from the same player. So, like I said earlier, now it's up to the front office to determine, you know, um, are we going to be sellers at the deadline, Uh, you know, and especially in guys like Barnes and buddy, because those are the big contracts that we have still sitting around. So
2: I was going to ask you a different question, but I'm now going to pivot to this question. Harrison Barnes would be a great fit in a place like Chicago because the guy that is the similar body comp and player comp Otto Porter jr. Is a guy that number one can't stay healthy. And number two, is a free agent after this year. He's an expiring contract. He's making $28 million. If the Kings don't feel like they can make the playoffs, it would be a good idea to move somebody like a Harrison Barnes, because I don't see him as being a part of a competitive core three to five years from now. So I guess the question is, do you think Barnes is a guy that's movable? And do you think that a Barnes for Porter type swap makes sense for Sacramento? Because it certainly to me makes sense for Chicago in getting a guy that has the same experience level if not more that plays a similar style of game and can stay healthier than Otto Porter Jr because Otto Porter Jr at 27 years old has got the health problems of a 77 year old at this point.
1: Right. And and Otto Porter has been one for a long time that Kings fans have always had a fascination with just because we've been linked to him through various trade rumors and then when um we tried to sign him in free agency right and he did not he did not choose us (laughs) not surprisingly but i mean yeah it's like i was saying it's it's gonna be buddy or barnes if one of them goes uh we definitely know there has been a market for barnes as we've heard for at least from Boston uh, media that that's that's a big name that at least they've kind of been targeting on their end or at least they see him making the most sense um, if if someone's going to go over there so uh, yeah and I, I really don't know it's a new front office uh, the only moves that we've seen Monty make were the the minimum vet signings this summer and then the sign and trade that, that broke apart uh, with the Milwaukee bucks. But what that was going to bring us was young, you know, young talent that still had a couple of years on their rookie deal and seemed to kind of fit uh, what we've been hearing about them going after high IQ guys that play defense. I know Otto Porter is that he's just has a horrible, you know, injury record. But, uh, now, if Monty's looking to just drop salary and isn't really worried about what he's getting back, uh, Otto Porter could very well be be that kind of guy. Um but I would assume, <laughs> at least if you talk to Kings fans, if it was a choice between Otto Porter and if you're getting maybe like a naismith and and a pick from Boston, they'd probably lean the Boston route. But I mean, at this point, I really think everything's on the table and anything's possible, especially with this front office, it coming from Houston where, you know, they love to make deals. That's that that's, I would say that's how he was raised in the NBA, um, front office. So really we're kind of just prepared for anything at this point that I think everything's on the table.
2: I do want to ask about Monty McNair, and we're here with Jill Adge of the Hoop Ball Sacramento Kings podcast. I didn't realize it until we started talking, Jill, that the Bulls and the Kings have really had similar arcs over the last year plus. They both change front offices. The Bulls having a very lightning rod front office in John Paxson and Gar Foreman. John Paxson, who is still there, don't get into the Rinesdorfian Dorfian way that Chicago sports teams run it'll blow your mind for however long you want to try and figure it out the Kings move on from a lightning rod and Vladi Divak, who franchise legend not a very good general manager both teams bring in GMs that were number twos in their previous stops although was Monty McNair the number two for Daryl Morey or was he a step below that
1: uh, I think depending on who you talk to it'd be he he was the two or three. It sounds like that his he had two or three guys that were kind of in that but I mean he was an assistant general manager. So he was, you know, on that rank of I you know, in that group of twos, you would say. Yes. Um, and based on what Maury has said publicly, it's very little that he has said, um, when it comes to those guys, but it was that he was very, um, uh, you know, integrated in, in trades and the analytics and, um, he, you know, worked his way from the bottom up there. Um, in that analytics group, Yale graduate, but played football. Um, but yeah, he's, he's a guy that he was involved in a- it, any move or, or, you know, pick that was essentially made.
2: So to get back to the question though, Arturis is a guy that real pro personnel guy, great scouting background. Bulls have really liked culture-wise what he has brought, especially changing out the bad bald man at coach for Billy Donovan. Yes, that's what we call Jim Boylan in Chicago. It seems like Kings fans are really liking what Monty McNair brings in terms of an organizational vision. Two-part question for you, and I use this as a comparison point to the Bulls situation. Number one, do you believe that Monty has a vision for where he wants this team to be in the next three to five years? And number two, it seems to be that when a new GM comes in and there's a coach that's already been there, that coach gets at least one year to prove himself to the GM. So I guess given Monty's connections in Houston and given the state of the Kings franchise, how in trouble is Luke Walton at this point?
1: Yeah. I mean, we last regarding the Luke point, um, we had heard he was in, you know, kind of muddy waters last year, but it was him and Vladi both. Right. And then we saw the Vladi move, but with this group, it's always about money. And we've had so many seasons of playing of paying multiple coaches right at a time. And I'm the Chicago might've had this issue as well, but you know, there are times we're were we're paying two to three coaches. Right. And so, at, at one point, do you have to kind of, as bad as it is, just let another year go? Um, so at this point, I would say yes. And But the thing is, I love the staff that they have put around Luke. I'm just not a big Luke fan. So to me, even if you get rid of them, I really do hope that they're at least able to keep the group that's behind them because you have... Um, A couple, you know, uh, you have Gentry right on the bench. Um, You have Rex there. Uh, We have Rico Hines as our development guys. Like we have a good Bobby Jackson's on the bench. Um, We have a good group of guys. It's just not a lot of people are fans of Luke. And And it's more so had he even interviewed and won the job, there might not be as much skepticism, but again, because he was just hired, by his friend, you know, with no, (laughs) with no, you know, no interviews and no talking to anybody else that there are plenty of people here. Yes. That are ready for a move on is Moni. I don't know. We, we have, we really have not heard anything publicly uh, about um, their feelings other than that, you know, they're getting along and they're having their discussions and, and doing what needs to be done um and does he have a vision uh he says he does and it sounds like he's trying to clean up a lot of the cap issues again which is why people are pretty convinced that one of buddy or barnes if not both are gonna go and similar to how you know he helped build houston out where um you had uh That it's when he joined them, they were in that process of, they were getting rid of um, Tracy McGrady and Yao Ming and having to, you know, to restart that. And they made some trades with the Kings. There were a couple other ones where they took on draft picks and uh, got rid of, got rid of salary and took on expirings and then made the big move to trade for James Harden. So a lot of people here uh, see him maybe trying to go that same route because honestly, With our track record of drafts, we're not really convinced that this team will be able to turn anything around um, in the drafts. Unless, Unless, you know, what we've seen of Tyrese, he's showing that, you know, this is kind of a different front office and at least being able to find talent. But I really do think that he's trying to clear up cap space so that if there are any big moves to be made, that as he says he's ready and he has the assets. Like he wants to put himself into a position where if something beneficial pops up, like the Harden, you know, happen with them, that they're in a position where that they can hop on any kind of situation that, that could get them a star. Uh, because we know, as he says, we know we're not going to get him in free agency. Like we're not, you know, we understand that, that this is not a destination place. And he has said as much that the winds are going to drive those guys here. If anything's going to bring those guys here, it's going to be wins. And until we get to that, then, um, you know, they're just going to have to keep going through the draft and um, put themselves in a salary place where they can they can make a move.
2: All right, Jill. So a couple final questions here on the matchup. First matchup between these two teams. Kobe White and Zach Levine combined for 68 of Chicago's 124 points that game at the Golden One Center back in early January. You talked about earlier how poor the Kings are defensively. And right now, Zach Levine is on another level. He should be an all star. He's playing one of the best seasons that a Bulls backcourt player has played since honestly, Derrick Rose's MVP season and Kobe White is starting to come into his own in the second year of his professional career. The only issue that the Bulls had the last time that they played the Kings was that they could not stop Sacramento in the front court, in particular, Rashawn Holmes and Marvin Bagley. Holmes had 24 points in 30 minutes. He was 10 of 11. Bagley had himself a double-double at 21 and 12. So, what do you think is the bigger concern for Sacramento at this point? Is it being able to exploit the Bulls inside where because they don't have Barnes this time and the Bulls do have a Wendell Carter Jr. back that's playing better?
1: Holmes or, is out too.
2: Oh, Holmes Just, is out as well.
1: Yeah. He might be back tomorrow, but he's been, he has been out. So.
2: So that could be, it could be a pretty small front. <laughs> it court could be on ugly both. on
1: both ends for us.
2: <laughs> so, is, so is the biggest concern Zach Levine and Kobe white from your perspective, because if I was a Kings fan, that would be the biggest concern. Yes.
1: Be, uh, our def- we are the worst defense in the league. Um, and our offense is not there. And we have the injuries that I, I find it really hard to believe that we'll be able to stop. Those two, a- unless they come out and play a game that we haven't, haven't seen this team come out and be able to do um, White and Levine should be able to get honestly, whatever they want on the court, no knock to the Kings, but that's, that's the way it is right now uh, with these teams that they're playing. It's, they're getting lit up.
2: And the bulls have a chance. And granted, we are recording this before the Bulls and the Sixers last night. I feel like I'm in some sort of time warp here trying to put these two pieces of the show together because I don't know the score of last night's game yet. You'll find (laughs) out in the first segment of the show that I will record after this segment of the show. Just trying to get Jill when she's best available and when I'm best available. So I expect a good game, but I expect a really high scoring game. What's one matchup, Jill, that we haven't talked about that you're looking forward to?
1: Like I mentioned earlier, I mean, you even brought up um, Kobe, but I, Kobe White, but I do think if, like I said, with the Fox force five and Darren said this yesterday after the loss that he needs to step it up. So I'm looking forward to seeing if he goes Fox force five, because that is the only way the Kings are going to have a shot to win. That's just point blank this season. That's, that's been our only shot of winning is when Fox is going. Fox force five out there. So, um, the point guard put matchup is, is going to be it for me. And then to see Bagley out there, maybe against Carter, if he, you said, mentioned Carter's back. And if Holmes is out, um, we could see those two going at it again, which we haven't seen in a while. i it. maybe their rookie year. If, if that, um,
2: that but- Wendell did play in the first game this year. Wendell okay. actually oh, had seven. Okay. Yeah, Wendell had that. Might have been one of the last games that he played before he got hurt. He had seventeen okay. boards in that game.
1: Yeah, we're not good at rebounding. <laughs> we're not a great rebounding team. But um, I would say that uh, the matchup of whether it's Holmes or um, Bagley starting at the center, which we have seen uh, the last two games, that um, it'll be interesting to see him him going at his former teammate and what strides that we continue to see from Bagley there.
2: This is the last question I have because you brought up the front court, Jill Hassan Whiteside. Just why, <laughs> why? That's all I have for you. Why
1: you sound like it. You sound like most Kings fans. <laughs> um, the, it, the guy is hilarious off the court, but he, he, he's coming back from injuries and he just cannot jump anymore. Like it's, it's really hard to watch, but, but the players love him, and Luke loves him. So they would tell you why not? I don't, <laughs> but as, as someone who's, you know, watching it, it's, we're down big men. And then our two way big man just got knocked out after being thrown like a a, you know, a rodeo cowboy, um, by Valanchunas and, uh, broke his wrist. And so he's out for like four weeks. Um, so we literally have nobody else besides Whiteside. <laughs> So you should see plenty of Whiteside tomorrow.
2: <laughs> hey, you want to take seven point five million dollars in Cristiano Felicio off our hands? Be our guest. <laughs> We're possibly one of the worst front court players in the entire Eastern Conference. Jill Adge, thanks again for joining us. Give us a plug for where everybody can find you on social media. For for where everybody can find your podcast as well.
1: All right. So um, on Twitter, you can find me. Uh, at Jill Adge, J-I-L-L-A-D-G-E. And then you can hear myself and Damian Barling every week on the Ball Kings podcast.
2: Thank you very much, Jill Adge, for joining us. Bulls and Kings tonight from the United Center. We'll see you on the West Side later tonight. Go kings!
0: This has been a Hoopball presentation.